MD Burns Nash is Atlanta's management consulting solution created specifically to meet the needs of a tech startup. MD Burns Nash aims to empower tech startup executives with the skill sets needed to propel their business on the path to success. For only $499, you can get started with an in-depth pitch deck evaluation to make sure you are putting your best foot forward. Visit mdburnsnash.com slash pitch deck for more information. That's mdburnsnash.com slash pitch deck for more information. All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Broadcasting from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village, you're listening to The Incubator, the voice of the Atlanta tech startup scene. The Incubator is a weekly show featuring Atlanta-based startup founders, influencers, and entrepreneurs. Who they are, what drives them, and how they plan to change the world. Today's show is made possible by Willa, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. And now, here are today's hosts. Good morning and welcome back to The Incubator. I am your host, Todd Schneck, joined by my friend and colleague, Ashley Staggs. Staggs, how are you, lady? I'm looking forward to this one. It'll be a fun conversation. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm excited about this one. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, all right, well, let's get into it. We're joined now by Monty Hamilton. He's the CEO of Rule Sourcing, Inc. Monty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Our oh, pleasure you. is ours. Thanks for making time to join us. No, you're awfully busy uh, building Rural Sourcing, so I appreciate you making time to join us. Uh, before we get into a conversation around what RSI is doing, take a few quick secs. Tell us about you, uh, you and your background. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. I will not go all the way back to the first grade teacher, but uh, I will start in my hometown. I I was born in North Mississippi, two-stop light town in a rural part of Mississippi. Have been in the technology space for the last 25-plus years. Got an opportunity in the late 80s to start working with what's now known as Accenture. was Anderson Consulting at the time. So uh, that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I learned to break big rocks down into little rocks, and I have been at it ever since. So tell me, what is Rural Sourcing, Inc.? Sure. The name is a little bit a descriptor of what we do. Mm -hmm. We are an IT outsourcing company. However, the big difference in our outsourcing world is instead of doing this offshore, we do it here onshore in the U.S. And we do this in smaller cities. The headquarters is here in Atlanta. However, most of the real work, in fact, all the real work, gets done outside in our centers in <clears throat> smaller places like Mobile, Alabama, and Pensacola area of Gulf Coast, Augusta, Georgia, Arkansas, and also in most recently our newest office is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so we help companies solve their IT problems by taking on software development for them or QA testing their software, working with some of their off-the-shelf applications like Salesforce.com or SAP or Labware and those, those kinds of things. So we pit ourselves directly against the typical offshore firms, thinking that there is a, really a need today in the marketplace for a, um, I'll steal some of Starbucks' idea of a third place, right? Mm-hmm. So you can either have your IT services done in-house in the same building you're in, or you can take those offshore. But we've created this third place to do it here onshore in the U.S. in, uh, in our centers that we build. 
Outstanding. Well, I love it. So, Ashley, how many interviews have we done on this show? I want to say maybe 50, 60 by now. Does that sound about I, right? Yeah, to a, a boatload is how I describe a things. A boatload. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Monty, every one of them is trying to recruit IT talent. Oh, yeah. They all, yeah. I mean, and you look at the job boards on places like Atlanta Tech Village and, and every other incubator on the planet. Lots of jobs for this. Everyone needs it. It's hard to access. Absolutely. Talk about some of the other challenges that that, Mark, that companies are facing with this. Yeah. So if you look, in fact, I did look today. There's a great website if you go out to uh, techhire.org. And there are about 50 cities across the U.S. today that are part of the Tech Hire organization. You can click on the uh, little icon there and see exactly how many job openings are in each city. So I looked at Atlanta before we came out. I think there were something like 13,000 tech openings in the city today. Wow. It and just Atlanta. Just Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Prediction by Code.org is that by 2020, we will have a million jobs shortage in our supply versus demand in the technology space. And so one of the things that we are as a purpose-driven company trying to do is go into these smaller tier two cities and create new supply, right? So we, we move into, we do a lot of analysis on where we're going to locate our centers, a lot of analytics, a lot of big data stuff that we do to go to select these places. And one of the things we look at is what's the ability for us to staff to 100 to 200 people in a location where those jobs don't exist today, And Albuquerque, New Mexico is a great example of this. We just went through this process last year. Albuquerque, very little known fact, is that uh, they have the highest per capita PhDs of anywhere in the country. No No way. Most of all those people are nuclear physicists and nuclear scientists working for Sandia, uh, Los Alamos Labs, doing some incredibly smart, you know, high brain kind of work. However, they have families there who don't necessarily want to follow in their footsteps. A lot of them, however, do want to follow in the technology world. And there just aren't a lot of opportunities locally for them. So we announced in December of last year that we were going to bring rural sourcing at least 125 jobs to Albuquerque. Had the opportunity to speak to their Chamber of Commerce event at the end of the year and talked about that. And I shared with them that I've got good news and I've got bad news, actually. So the bad news was first that I wasn't there to hire any more nuclear physicists or nuclear scientists. (laughs) Not what we're looking to do. However, the good news is I'm looking to hire all your sons and daughters who may have moved away because there were no tech opportunities here in town. Mm -hmm. And I walked away from that conference with a stack three inches tall of business (laughs) cards with moms and dads going, yes, my daughter's in Dallas. Bring them closer. You got to get her back there. Right, right. So we, we look for those opportunities to utilize and, and, and better leverage the talent that's out there in, in, in these places, in these secondary markets. And, uh, and so far, that's been successful. We opened up our, our first center was in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Second was in Augusta, Georgia, just a couple hours east of here in Atlanta, which all of the golf world's eyes will be tuned to here in three weeks in the, in the beginning of April, mm-hmm. uh, but wasn't necessarily well known for its technology talent our market but yet we've got about 130 software engineers and software developers over there working in a very cool tricked out google-esque kind of space that looks a lot like this on the interior with exposed ductwork and exposed beams and 15 foot ceilings bean bags yes yeah absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> colorful bean bags and overstuffed couches and course your requisite foosball table over in the corner <laughs> and, and a so, bar yeah and a bar Always. of course well our bars are coffee bars we want them we want them high octane <laughs> yeah. not, not going down the other way but it, it's great you know so in, in in many of these cases these folks have decided that this is where they want to live right they've in also many cases 
chosen a location over their vocation. They're very talented, but they, for whatever reason, like living in Augusta. They don't want to be in Atlanta. They don't want to be in Chicago or Silicon Valley. And so we come in and say, hey, guess what? No longer do you have to make a trade-off. You can have your location and your vocation. You can do cool software development work for the likes of Turner and big pharmaceutical company XYZ and Game of Thrones and other stuff like that without having to leave Augusta, Georgia to do it. So it's a great value proposition. Give us a little bit of information about kind of what are the benefits of, of domestic outsourcing? Sure. One of the huge ones is, is obviously just the time clock, mm-hmm. right? So in today's world of doing most of our software development in an agile methodology, which, which simply means that I'm working very closely with that end user going back and forth on a day-to-day basis and certainly on a two-week basis to deliver something they can digest, mm-hmm. to be able to do that in real time is a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. I don't lose a day's time because someone misunderstood something or I wrote something down wrong and they got it wrong on the other end. We can have those iterative conversations. We can be on chat constantly back and forth. We can be on the video cams. And so it's like working in the same building, mm-hmm. except I don't have to sit exactly close to you in case you have a cold or something. Right? <laughs> and so that's a big benefit. I think the other big benefit of offshore versus domestic actually is that with the, the nuances of uh, understanding the industry, understanding those processes that support individual industry, whether it be the travel industry, media business, manufacturing, et cetera, it just doesn't communicate as well when you're trying to do that and someone doesn't have a good in-depth understanding of that business and how that industry works. We do that here in the U.S., and we obviously understand the retail business of the U.S., the manufacturing business of the U.S., and we can understand then how to develop software that solves those problems for those industries. Is cost a benefit, too? I imagine the salary I would pay someone living in Augusta, say, is a lot different than what may be in uh, Silicon Valley. It is. Thank you, Todd. It it is absolutely different. And, And we pay well. We have great benefits. But we do pay on a regional scale. And that's one of the ways we're able to be competitive with the offshore model. So in Augusta, there's a 25 to 30% cost of living advantage of being two hours east of here as opposed to in the middle of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in Albuquerque and the Gulf Coast, the Mobile, Pensacola area, all those areas have 20 to 30% cost of living advantages. And people are willing to trade off that salary because they know, you know, a, a, a beer in Augusta really does cost a dollar, not $7 <laughs> in, a, in a Buckhead uh, bar, right? And, and so their dollar goes a lot, lot further. I did drink in Macon not that long ago. Yeah. I lived there for a little while after college, and I never could figure out why I had so much money on a $30,000 salary, <laughs> more than I have now, it feels. Went down there for a show, ordered like a very large round of drinks, and they were like $17. Seriously considered moving back. <laughs> <laughs> you were the big tipper for the night. You gave them the 20 Oh, I to totally keep it, was. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, sorry. The, the other neat thing, can I spe- on, that, on that cost thing, the great thing about that is that we're able to pass those savings, obviously, along to our clients, right? And to make us a very, very competitive alternative to the offshore. Mm -hmm. Because in addition to being competitive on an hourly rate or a a dollar cost basis, when compared to offshore, the ability to get things done quicker, be able to get things done correctly the first time, Mm -hmm. uh, gives us that productivity output that we're going to be certainly be more expensive than your developer in Bangalore or Chennai. However, when you factor in the total cost of ownership, looking at what it really costs you to get that piece of software to the marketplace, then we believe, and our clients certainly will vouch for this, that we have a equal, if not better, 
value proposition. Well, and I have to assume that the ability to communicate and be in a similar time zone has to have an impact yeah. too. I mean, yeah. I've hired web developers on the other side of the earth, and I had, I'll admit that I had difficulty understanding them in conversations, sure. and the conversations had to happen at 4 a.m. because it was when mm -hmm. they were in the work. I mean, it was, it was tricky. It was harder to do business there. I always say somebody is going to be inconvenienced by that. Yeah. It may be you yep. as the product owner. It, it may be working with a, a third shift in, on the other side of the world just because you don't want to give up that. And you wouldn't believe how many clients that we have come to us and say, this enabled me to actually stay in this job. Right, because I was not going to stay and continue to have those 4 a.m. conference calls or those midnight conference calls to make sure things were getting done. And the problem with when you do that is that even if, if there is a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, and, and we speak in U.S. English terms with such nuances and sarcasms occasionally, that those aren't always detectable when, you're, when mm -hmm. English is your second language or you're, you're uh, separated by 11 and a half time zones. And so to be able to do that now on video, to be like you're right there, makes a big, big difference in getting this stuff done correctly the first time. I can't understand the, the nuances of Ashley's snark from across the table. <laughs> so I appreciate, the, I appreciate that. All right. Monty Hamilton, when we turn after this short break, we'll be right back. This is Wes Moss, former host of Atlanta Tech Edge on NBC in Atlanta. I'm here today, though, to talk to you about my new digital financial advisory firm, Wella. Well is an old English word that means wealth. Several years ago, my team realized there were too many people who needed help with their financial strategy, but couldn't get the help they needed because they didn't reach the high investment minimums of many financial advisory firms. To answer this need, we developed Wella, a digital platform that allows us to help people just like you get free financial advice and tools to better manage their finances. We also offer online investing and the ability to work with your own investment advisor with no minimums. Learn more at yourwella.com. That's Y-O-U-R-W-E-L-A.com. All right. And we're back with Monty Hamilton, CEO of Rural Sourcing, Inc. You mentioned agile development a little bit earlier shameless plug i am a certified scrum product owner Congratulations. thank you so i i really understand and agree with you on the importance of agile but what do you think the the role of that plays in domestic uh outsourcing and why is it necessary in in the landscape sure i'll, I'll try to answer that actually but keep in mind that i was probably the worst programmer that Accenture ever hired in their <laughs> historical career. I fortunately got out of there. I'm not sure how, but anyway, so Agile, the prospect of Agile is that you and I, you as the product owner, I as the developer get to work side by side or directly in communication and, and we are nimble and agile and turning around code product that works for you, that comes out exactly how you want to do that. And by having that interaction, that iterative development, we don't get down a bad path for a long period of time. And I sort of liken it to this this coming from old school waterfall when I first started yeah. this world. <laughs> Which is a nightmare. Uh, yes. <laughs> what w that's like running a marathon. Mm -hmm. We run 26.2 miles down a path and then realize at the end of that path that we just survived it barely. However, we were on the wrong path the mm -hmm. whole way. With sprint development, agile development, we do things in 100 and 200 meter dashes. And so if I run down the, the field 100 yards and come back and say, well, that really wasn't where you need to be, I'm not dead at the end of it. I can quickly turn around and give you back what you need the next day or over the next two weeks. And so being ha able to have this iterative development allows us to get product right much quicker. And, and it, if you think about where India and the offshore movement occurred, it was built off of two very good premises at the time, which was uh, low-cost labor and huge scale. 
Today, if I'm doing a mobile app development for my sales or my marketing group, I don't have a marathon's time to get that out to market. Mm -hmm. I've got a sprint time to get that out to market. And I need to be able to do that with a small, agile team, right? So I don't need thousands of developers to put this out on the market. With toolkits and infrastructure and cloud development that's out there today, I need to be able to do that in weeks, not months. Mm-hmm. And so Agile allows us to do that. And specifically, domestic sourcing allows us to be able to do that in a very quick, nimble, agile methodology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think about my team, Monty, and the four key people on my team are all in different states. I think about, I mentioned the post-production crew that I have pre-show. Uh, they're all outsourced talent all over the globe. I, I don't think rural sourcing could exist 20 years ago, right? The technology okay. then enables you to to be on video and sit next, as if you were sitting across the table. It has to make this thing almost easy, right? Uh, finding the talent is probably the hard part, but the technology is, is, is making this so viable and so possible and, frankly, seamless, yeah? It does, absolutely. Our business, what we run in our back office today, everything we do, we do to run this business is, is in the cloud, right? The ability to connect with our clients, to, to be like we're in the next room or side by side is, is merely bandwidth, right? And the places where we're going, while the name rural is a little bit of a misnomer, we're not in truly rural right, settings. Right. All of these settings have multiple fiber available, some of them Google Fiber. And so we're able to overcome that hurdle of connectivity with, with no problem at all. In fact, it's certainly one of the things we verify, but it's not a big question on our checkmark list because we know any reasonable size city is going to have that connectivity. What are some of the trends that are coming down the pike that you think are going to impact outsourcing? Yeah, if, if you think about today's marketplace, there's nothing in our world that's not going digital. Mm-hmm. And if you think about one of the most popular advertisements on TV today is from a company called General Electric that is talking about hiring software programmers. Mm-hmm. And I got the opportunity to hear Jeff Emmelt speak at a conference not too long ago, and they really do get it. You know, Their vision of the world is they want to be at that intersection of their industrial products and the Internet. And so as he put it, we don't make train engines anymore. We make rolling data centers. And then we feed that information back to our clients, their customers, who need that data off of that engine to know when to replace it, when to repair it, when to order new parts, all those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Every business is trying to think that way. Or at least let me me restate that. Most businesses should be trying to think that way, Mm -hmm. right? Which means more technology. You think about Internet of Things, cybersecurity, cloud solutions, all those things are driving companies of every size to understand how this fits into their products and how they solve for these problems. Mm -hmm. That means a huge IT staff that most companies aren't geared up to either attract or retain. And so I use the analogy when we hire people from industry to come in and said, you know, when you were working supporting that manufacturing company in Mobile, Alabama, you were sort of like the popcorn vendor at the baseball game. Somebody else was making money because there was a product they were selling and you were supporting that product and I'm sure doing a great job of it. But you were the popcorn vendor. When you come to work for us, you're the star third baseman on the field, right? You're how we make money. Mm-hmm. And I treat you, I talk to you, I invest in you very differently when you're the star third baseman, right? And so we, we look to hire those people who can get excited about, continue to learn about new technologies, continue to understand what our clients' issues and and problems are, and and be excited about solving those problems through software. 
is the marketplace uh, open to this now? I, I would I would think. Well, gosh, I, the rules are that I was supposed to do something, uh, hire someone outsourced from the other side of the world, or I need to hire talent in house. That seemed to be you know, that's what people expected us. That's right. that's the legitimate business. The people that outsource and, and maybe that's a. It sounds to me that's changing though. That that uh, the, this is almost universally adopted now. Yeah, I, I do think that most companies of uh, significant size these days understand they can't have all the technology needed to run a business today in-house. Yeah. It's just impossible. I don't care how big you are or how sophisticated you are. You know, there's new technologies coming on the market every three, six, nine months, mm-hmm. right? And if you're trying to get all of that in-house, it, it's an impossibility unless you're in this business. Well, right? and not to mention, it's at least I've experienced this here you said there's, I mean, so many of these jobs that are available, but the really qualified candidate pool is small and highly skilled. So, I mean, whenever we've tried to hire an in-house developer, we'll have somebody that we're like halfway through the interview process with ready to pull the trigger and they've been scooped up. Got a job. Yeah. And especially with these bigger companies, they, they offer more than we do. So even for us, it's, you know, it was, in, it was in the Wall Street Journal today in Section B of how difficult it is in Silicon Valley to retain the talent. Right? I bet, and So yeah. everybody is feeling the pinch, the shortfall. You know, mid-sized companies in Atlanta battling for the you know, dearth of talent mm-hmm. when there's 17,000 job openings today. Right. Uh, those people have a choice of jobs, right? And so how do you compete? We think we have an alternative, right, to go to where the others ain't, uh, mm-hmm. to steal a phrase. And, uh, and, and not only take the talent that exists in these places and put them into a cool environment where they can do some great work, but also grow new talent. So we're very involved in the communities and going into the high schools and middle schools and talking about STEM, bringing them into our offices and letting them actually see what a software developer or a Mm -hmm. QA tester does on a daily basis and getting them excited about a career in technology. It's one Mm -hmm. of the things that really attracted me to this company to begin with. Having grown up in this rural two-stop light town in Mississippi, there weren't a lot of knowledge walkers, taught, knowledge workers walking down the street every day that you could bump into and say, hey, what do you do for a living, right? Just didn't exist. Right. And so your horizons become very short when you're in those situations. If we can go into these communities and, and, and promote the idea of a career in technology and how great it is and how fun it is and how many different alternatives you have presented to you down the road, then we'll have done our job, you know. So walk me through any future growth plans for rural sourcing. I mean, you mentioned a, a number of uh, communities that, that you have centers in now. Is there, is there a long-term plan to, to continue to, to continue to increase those? Yeah, abso- absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, we're a purpose-driven company, and that purpose is to create thousands of U.S.-based IT jobs where they didn't otherwise exist. We're at the hundreds mark now, but we will soon, and, and hopefully by our three-year plan is by 2020, 2019, we'll have 1,000 jobs here in the U.S. that would have been created in our centers. We've got four centers now. We have a good eye to where number five will be already, which should be in either fourth quarter this year or first quarter oh, next wow. year. We'll announce that. And then we went through this selection process last time. Our CFO, a very smart gentleman, decided that we didn't want to keep reiterating, cooking this thing up every six months. So he codenamed the project 456 so that we would select number four, would have a good line of sight to where number five was mm-hmm. and a short list for number six. What do you look for in a community when you make that decision? Yeah. So uh, for us, what works is communities that are somewhere between a half a million and a million population size. We know there's a pool of talent there that we can pull from that. And we know we can commit 100 to 200 jobs within that pool. We look for the cost of living, as you mentioned before, where we're going to have a cost of living advantage over the other major metropolitan areas. We also look for a quality of life. 
So if you go to any of our centers the, the, and talk to the people who are living there, they live there because of, in many cases, the convenience factor. So if you're in Augusta, Georgia, you've worked a full day and solving your client's software problems and you want to be at your daughter's volleyball game at 530, you can leave the office at 520 and get there. Right? <laughs> Not get slammed that in traffic. That doesn't happen here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. let me assure you. Nope. Same thing if, if you're on the Gulf Coast, right, in Alabama, Florida, right? You grew up with salt water in your veins and, and you enjoy that style of life and that's what you want to do. And again, we come in and say, that's great. You can have that every day. You won't even have to trade off what you really desire from a vocation, which is to do cool software stuff, right? High Desert in Albuquerque, New Mexico, same thing. So I think those are kind of the key elements of what we're looking for. There are some other things that are what we would consider sort of our secret sauce for selecting these places, but those are the big ones. And then we we spend a lot of time working with the local universities, community colleges, and now code academies to develop this talent, right? So we don't want to be just a taker of it. We want to help get in and and develop more of it. Right. And so we've been very successful recently at hiring from Code Academy. So I'm excited about that new avenue, that new artery for bringing in new talent for us. Working with the city of Mobile actually right now to submit a grant to the tech hire organization, the President Obama's administration to come up with a hundred million dollars of grant funding for communities to go out and try to create more technology talent in the marketplace. And so we've been helping them work through that application. And I think they'll be successful in it. I think they'll be very successful in, in starting a code academy there locally, and we'll produce more graduates into this space. So how are you finding candidates? Are, are candidates able to find you? Are they able to register with you guys to look for jobs? How does that work? Yeah, thank God for the Internet these days. Right? <laughs> right. Um, great story. One of our colleagues who works in uh, Mobile today, she grew up in L.A., graduated from UCLA with a degree in neuroscience but found herself working in technology, specifically in the gaming industry out there. Mm. And But she fell in love with a gentleman from South Alabama who's from Mobile. And as they had their courtship over the years, she got to really enjoy and appreciate all that the Gulf Coast offered. And uh, they got married, and she said, that's great. You know, we'll, we'll live in L.A. for a while, but eventually we're going to move back to where you grew up, and that's where we'll raise a family. Because L.A.'s a dump. Yeah. <laughs> I was just there. It was great. Um, so, so they do that. They move back to Mobile, and in this case, lower, L.A., lower Alabama, right? And um, unfortunately, it was in 2007, right, at the height of the recession. Mm-hmm. And neither one could find really good jobs in, in their fields of study. So they end up having to move back to L.A. They went to work at uh, Disney, again, at Disney Interactive. But she never gave up on her dream to start and raise her family in Alabama. And so she kept searching the internet, kept searching the internet. And last summer we had an opening at Rural Sourcing for a QA lead position on our staff. And she applied and we immediately hired her. And she is wonderful. And she couldn't be happier being in L.A., Lower Alabama and uh-huh. Mobile, as she explains it. You know, I sit outside Monty in my backyard, and all I hear are the bugs. And the mosquitoes eat me up, and I don't even mind. <laughs> <laughs> the alternative was hearing the sirens and the ambulances and, and, yeah. and the traffic all night, every night. And so finding people like that is great. We're super fortunate. Our talent kind of comes from three main arteries, if you think about it. So it's professionals who've been in the industry like that who may move back to these regions for elderly parents, lifestyle, whatever that may be. Second one is could be former road warriors, people who've done the consulting gig for a long time and decided to get off the road and have a little more balance in their life. And the third is out of those either university or code academy systems where we will go in and, and spend a lot of time working with those 
professors and as well as those career guidance counselors. Well, I'm just thinking of the people who are in the, on the educational side of this, uh, maybe wanting to launch a code academy and thinking, well, I have to do it in one of the big hubs, right? Because that's where all the people are. But they can now open that opportunity up and they can look at tier two. They can look at tier two cities and say, boy, I could do something here because I could ultimately partner with a rural sourcing Absolutely. and do something really cool in a place most people aren't expecting. Right. And they can own the market, right? Yeah. That, that's what we try to do. So, so our view of the world is that we want to be the employer of choice, right? And so when we go into market, we, as I described before, we do invest heavily in the facility that we're going into. We, we've been fortunate to find places on historical registers that we can get local developers to build out for us and have these cool environments. But code academies could do the same thing, where they could come into town and kind of be the only game in town. Um, and when you're in a market that size, it's not small, right? There are plenty of people out there who want that second chance, that opportunity that they didn't have when either they came out of high school or they came out of college with their French degree, right? We've got a gentleman in, in Augusta who fits that perfectly, right? That was his <laughs> undergrad major. Not a lot of jobs if you don't want to teach. He went to Chicago boot camp. He is absolutely one of our best programmers. He's got the artistic side of the brain as well as now the coding side of the brain, and, and he's fantastic. That's great. Well, uh, any other talent that you're looking to recruit right now? We do actually have several sales positions that we're looking for. So most of our talent sits out, our colleagues are out in these other locations I mentioned, but we do have a few here in Atlanta, sales in particular. So we're, we're growing our sales staff. We have, uh, I think, three openings in that, including the vice president of business development opening. So mm -hmm. if there's anyone out there listening, we'd love mm -hmm. to, uh, to see your resume and talk to you about that. Very, very cool. Well, I also think that there's going to be a, a general tr shift towards domestic outsourcing above, above and beyond IT, right? I can imagine, I don't know if this is in your long-term plans, but I certainly can imagine where, you know, opportunities like this in HR, customer service. I mean, there's got to be, uh, is, there, is, is there a wider shift like that happening in those other sectors too? I, I think, Todd, you're absolutely right. I think there's a wider opportunity. And, and there are some companies that are taking advantage of this. If you just think about the U.S., we all can't live in the same place. We all can't live in the same 15 major metropolitan areas here, right? And so, again, for lifestyle reasons and quality of life reasons, there's lots of good talent in these other places. Could be in HR, could be in business process outsourcing. And one of the things that we are seeing and helping, and, and there's a sort of a loose affiliation of a bunch of our companies who do this domestic sourcing idea that work in different spaces, to get together and share ideas and share best practices and what we're doing, what we're seeing. There's a company that's focused in the uh, BPO or business process outsourcing space that is focused entirely on hiring spouses of military folks. Mm. Oh, that's great. So they go to the big military base areas. Tons of uh, spouses there who are not working because the other spouse is away and try to employ them doing BPO work. And again, a great opportunity to do this in the U.S. for people who probably otherwise wouldn't really be employed in, anywhere. And I think you're right. I think there is a big future trend here. I think given that we're in an election year, we have already heard this concept of outsourcing and, and offshoring come up already. I had the opportunity to go to the White House recently and meet with Secretary Tom Perez, who's Secretary of Labor, and Secretary Tom Vilsack of Agriculture, which has USDA under it. We had a great meeting. We talked about what could happen, what could we, they do. And, and the great thing that I walked away from that, there was sincere interest from these gentlemen to do something to help promote this area. Mm -hmm. And what we agreed to, at least to go forward in the planning stages, was to host a series of summits across the U.S. Mm -hmm. to talk about this. Um, because I think part of the problem right now is if, in my world, if I put 100 CIOs in a room, 
and ask them, how many of you have heard of domestic or rural sourcing? Please raise your hand. 10 to 15 would probably do that. The other 85 or 90 would have no idea, but they sure as hell could tell me on a map where Hyderabad and Chennai were, right? And so I want to get them to understand all this other stuff, all these other opportunities there are with domestic sourcing and, and how this can be done here. Well, it'd be fun to, when we have you back on the show in like a year or two's time, how different things will be. I think I think there's going to continue to be a, a dramatic shift that direction, don't you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do. And I think there's there's lots that uh, that we can do. And as we look to just leverage the talent that we have, I think, and think a little differently, to, the, to your point earlier, we, there's been a knee-jerk reaction. If, if I need more IT talent, then I have to go offshore to get it, right? Or I can't hire it here internally. And we are putting that third place, that third alternative in front of them now. And I think uh, you're going to see some talent come out from under the under the, under some rocks. I think there's a lot of people out there who have a skill that just can't do anything with it because of where they live, and that can change now. Yeah, I know there was a, there was a uh, a great uh, interaction we had recently with some very very smart. Georgia Tech students, and uh, they talked about, well, we, we like your model. We understand your model seems to make sense. But what about the digital nomad, the gal or guy who doesn't really want to live anywhere for very long, yet they want to continue to work, or they may want to live in a houseboat somewhere or <laughs> in the hills somewhere, and, but yet they want to be employed doing technology work. Why not? Right. Yeah, the, the opportunities for that graduate with that skill set now has a lot more places they can look at than, than before, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. All right. Well, Mani, gosh, uh, uh, we'll certainly have you back because I think this is an exciting trend in this space and it'd be fun to see what you guys continue to do with it. Uh, we're about out of time, but uh, before we go, I do have my sponsor duties. And so it is time for the Wella question of the week, which is what is the best piece of financial advice you have ever received or given? Todd, great question, I suppose. If, if I had probably listened to all the great advice, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today working. I'd be on vacation somewhere. However, I will tell you that the piece of advice that I follow religiously and, and have learned to never break this rule is your wife is always right. <laughs> Give her the checkbook. Yeah. I haven't written a check in 25 years. I don't even know if I get paid or not, to be honest with you. She handles all of that, and, and thank goodness that I married well, well outside my uh, capabilities. Well, one of my nicknames for Mrs. Schnick is my tip calculator. So, yeah. so all, all checks are just rolled over the table, and she, yeah. she completes that, and I sign. We so. do find a lot at Wella that the wives are the CFOs of the household. So much smarter and so yeah. much better at managing <laughs> right. money. Yep. yep, no doubt about it. Well, that's, that's great advice. So, all right, Monty, before we let you go, how can people contact you? Should they have questions and learn more about Rural Sourcing, Inc.? Absolutely. So on, on the web at www.ruralsourcing.com, mhamilton at ruralsourcing.com is the email address. Monty Hamilton, CEO of Rural Sourcing, Inc. Monty, great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and joining us. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Enjoy all right. It. We did, too. All right. All the time we have for today on Begin... Again, on behalf of our guest, Monty Hamilton, my co-host, Ashley Staggs, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on The Incubator. You've been listening to The Incubator, recorded from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village. This broadcast is a partnership between the Intrepid Now Media Network and Hypopotamus, and made possible by Wella, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. The Incubator is directed by Andrea Risk and produced by Floyd Fischel. You can find The Incubator on iTunes, and leaving a rating and review on iTunes will be appreciated by all. Again, you've been listening to The Incubator. The show will return next week. We'll see you then.